Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is illustrator and author Brian Collier. It's hard to know if you're cut out to be an illustrator, especially when you face hardship and rejection. Brian knew it wasn't a matter of if for him, but when. Among other topics, we talk about how Brian dealt with years of rejection and what publishers meant when they said, we love your work, but we just don't have anything for you at this time. Brian shares why he thinks there is, quote, no landing place for an illustrator. And with help from Peter and Arnold, Brian explains what it means to be a dreamwalker. I hope you enjoy our conversation. We're just a couple of Maryland boys chit-chatting today. Oh, really? Yes, sir. Where are you? What part of Maryland? I uh, grew up in and around the Towson area. Okay. And you're from Pocomoke. Yeah, Eastern Shore. Hanging around hanging around all those wild horses down there? Oh, down in Chincoteague in Virginia, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, what's what's Ocean City from you, maybe, from For, there? Uh, about 40 minutes from my house. Yeah, I was yeah, going to yeah. say an hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that was my place. I, that was my childhood. Hell yeah, me Ocean too. City. Me too. Every, yeah. Oh, yeah, every summer. Um, until, and then I, and then I, yep. I mean, I thought it was the best place ever growing up. And then I met my wife, who's mm-hmm. from Delaware. You know, we got to talking when we were dating and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love Ocean City. Go down to Ocean City. And she's like, oh, God, that place? <laughs> you know, because she's used to the uh, nicer Bethany. Rehoboth, Bethany, exactly. Rehoboth, yeah, yeah, yeah that's all right. Down the Quiet. shore, as they say around these parts. I almost canceled on us today um, <clears throat> because I've been, I've been battling this flu. It's been – it's an epic battle, M- mass casualties on both sides. Um, yeah. But you know what, man? You just got to embrace the imperfect. And I know, man. You just got to embrace the imperfect in life. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to pursuing art at a young age, right, people around you are either encouraging, discouraging or neutral, like they don't care one way or another. The plurality of young artists, I find, are discouraged from being an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you weren't in that group. Well, no, I was the whole world set up for you not to create to just follow like the herd. Right. So even the people that love you don't understand, and they'll say, "No, just be practical. Go get a job." And <laughs> and 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 the art is a folly, you know. So right. at, at every turn, even the ones that love you the most, the the one that birthed you and raised you, right. they'll say that to you. They'll 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 kill your dream without really knowing that's what they're doing, you know. So as young artists, you gotta some of the skill sets that you have to um, sort of develop is you can't tell everybody your dream. Mm. Everybody can't, can't handle your dream. They can't see it for right. one. And they don't believe what's inside of you. Sure. So you, there has to be a point where, okay, there's only certain kinds of people and people that I run into that I'm going to talk to about this. And, but I'm going to keep grinding regardless of what they say, because that's a blind faith. You got to jump out on. Oh, 100%. I mean, especially since, like, as you said, in society, it's like if you choose to be an artist, uh, it's your fault if yeah. things don't work out. It's not the structures that are in place in society to uh, 
diminish and devalue art. Right. So it's not, it's their fault, not yours. It's, it's society's fault for not knowing that art is a real job. I mean, that's the funniest <laughs> part about it is like, you know, go get a real job. I'm like, well, do you like your, the books in your life or video games or movies or your team's logo or your home, your furniture, your car? Yeah. All of those things were made by people who went to art school. Exactly. Uh, we're starting off on ranting, sir, today. I don't know. What yeah. Is. Um, so in an interview with C-SPAN at the National Book Festival in D.C. a couple years ago, you were asked why you chose to be a children's book creator. One reason you said had to do with not seeing characters of color in the books that you read as a kid or the books you saw as an adult when you went to bookstores. Right. So you obviously cited Ezra Jack Keats, you know, Snowy mm-hmm. Day, Peter. You also yeah. cited Harold and the Purple Crayon. Right. But Harold isn't black. Oh, look at the, look at the shape of his head. That's a black boy right there. <laughs> Do you know what? Uh, I identified with him. What exactly did you identify with? His 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 body shape, his gesture, his youth, and his wonder is what really, um, as an adult artist, that, I mean, well, as a kid, when I saw I just, it's just something that was there. The simplicity, right. the, the crayon, right. the boy. Those three, those factors as a as a as a kid. Did you know Crockett Johnson was asked one time why Harold was bald, and he said, and I quote, word for word, "Drawing people without hair is so much easier." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just as simple as that, right? Yeah, oh yeah, man, as simple as that. You said, "quote Collage is more than just an art style. Collage is all about bringing different elements together." Once you form a sensibility about connection, how different elements relate to each other, you deepen your understanding of yourself and others. Yeah. When I spoke with Ashley Bryan a few years ago on the podcast, he said Mm -hmm. that collage was more than a stylistic choice. It was also a reflection of his life. It was like a metaphor for this lack of access as a kid to traditional art materials. Mm -hmm. What drew you to collage specifically as an art form? I think the collage sort of morphed out of my being raised with my grandmother as well. She made quilts. Mm. And and then she did other things as well. I mean, she cooked and made preserves and we did all this stuff. And I was just the only kid over there with her. She lived right next door to our house. So I'm the youngest of six kids. So she mm-hmm. lived next door to right. us. Mm-hmm. And um, I gravitated towards her and hung out with her and I watched her. And it's, it was the piecing together right. of, of these fragments and pieces that had no relationship to each other uh-huh. until she put them together and then this tapestry happened or she's cooking these ingredients and then this thing at the end of it came out wonderful and delicious. So it, I think um, my collage style, if you look at it closely, is the influence of a quilt maker. I talk to illustrators a lot about their style, the kind of work they do. And one topic of conversation is this idea of like what you think of in your head versus what ends up on the paper. You know, like mm-hmm. it's that very famous quote, uh, Ira Glass saying, you know, our tastes are, are more advanced than our abilities. And that's where the frustration lies in a lot of art mm-hmm. and artists. Yeah. 
Sure. Um, but with collage artists, you know, you can have all the ideas and all the visions you want in your in your head. But when it comes to collage, so much of it is reaction and yeah. play. Mm-hmm. You can have a game plan for the piece. But what ends up on paper very rarely, if ever, is a reflection of what you thought of before you started the piece. Well, absolutely. I mean, I'm even at the point, I mean, I've been at this point for a while. I've, I'm so in love in the, with the process yeah. that um, I'm waiting to be surprised at the end of it. So I have no expectation of where we're actually going. Right. All I know is we're going and and when it's when it's over or when we I think we're at the end, then we that's where we have arrived. Right. My expectation is just to ha- have fun on the journey and then we'll get to the destination and be surprised at what what came out of it, you know. Yeah, I think with a lot of folks, you know, they'll they'll have an idea and then they'll execute on a canvas or digital traditional paper, whatever. And it won't mm-hmm. look like what they wanted it to look like and then they get bent out of shape, you know. It's like, this isn't as good as what I imagined. Well, it doesn't look like what you wanted it to look like. But to that, I say, so what? It's its own thing. It's it's not doesn't have to look exactly the way you wanted it to look like. You have an idea. You start. Like you said, you go on that journey and that process and just embrace that. Embrace the curiosity of like, what is it? What would happen if I added this color or you know, pasted this piece or whatever and trust that you'll make good decisions. As long as you make good decisions with whatever it is that you're doing, that should be your concern. Not that it like looked or doesn't look like what you originally imagined. Right. And to stay open. Right. In in your spirit and in your mind about it. Stay open. Well, okay, this is it. Okay, let's try this and try that. Just stay open in the playful manner in which you're creating. And even if it's hard and you're grinding, it's just still it's still a play. You still you're still at play. Right. You know, even when this you you're riding high on it, in the colors or whatever you're working with, and right. or or you're grinding and it's, it's you you're fighting everything. You know, mm-hmm. every every you know that's still the play. You mm-hmm. still got to play all the way through. So, you know, one one art making art is a privilege to be able to make art. You know, so you got to keep all that in mind. And um, when you're at it, you know, sure. that that joyfulness, um, remind, tap into your that inner child and just go play. You know, that's good advice. And it's advice that I share. And it can be really hard, though. Right. Oh, no, this is not an easy walk now. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> No, I, I'm saying this, but it's not an easy walk because you know we're we're jaded adults. Come on, man! Oh yeah, the world world has touched us in ways that you know that child. You got to go get it. The child's in there, but you got to go get him, right? And pull him up. Yeah, it's behind you know? many, many, many layers of grime. Oh, yeah, lots of grime. Oh, yeah. You know, I I had to be. I was a little surprised when I learned that it took you seven years to quote break into i never really like that phrasing breaking into publishing but it took you Mm -hmm. seven years to break into publishing seven seven you know like this award-winning like you won awards early on you went to pratt Mm -hmm. on scholarship you were an art advocate you continue to be an art advocate i mean this is this is this is a person that i would imagine wouldn't have such a hard time getting getting published early on and yet there here we are so what what didn't they see 
in your portfolio then? What did they well, see? What did they tell you? This is 1989. Right. They weren't publishing images of color, of people of color. They weren't doing it. Mm. Across the board, all the major publishing houses were not doing it. So, so all the editors and art directors that I would see my portfolio, they they couldn't, they had no format or no formula or no idea about how to tell African American stories or have even to see African American leads in a picture book. I mean, we had Snowy Day, we had little outliers, we had stuff from Jerry Pinkney right. sporadically put around. Tom Feelings and Tom Feelings and and Ashley Bryant, but. In the scheme of publishing, that's not even a drop in the bucket in oh. terms of a number of African-American or illustrators and uh, writers of color. Right. So across the board, it hadn't hit the mainstream the way um, you would think it, it would have been in 1989. And that's when I was searching. Right. I mean, they couldn't. I mean, did they even say to you like, well... <clears throat> there, those books won't sell. So, yeah, they would say, "Oh, we like the work, but we don't have any work for you." They like the art that I was making, the style. They like that, you know. Right. Uh, but we don't have any work for you. So that's what they would say, you know. But you know what? I could have taken it so many different ways as a young artist mm -hmm. and being discouraged. But what they didn't know is that me walking in the building on the floor of a publishing house mm -hmm. was like a wonderland because I could see all the new books. I'm encountering a world that I'd never even known existed. Right. You know, so mm -hmm. it was, it was an exploration. It was, Oh, I'm discovering it's a, a discovering a new world. And every publishing house that I would go to, I would see something new and something different because at a certain point I already knew I could make a book. I just needed a shot. You know, and this is before you could do books at home. Like all the books that I made now, I could make it here in the studio without a publisher. Right. You know, with the technology advancement. Sure. But 1989, it wasn't even smartphones. It wasn't the internet. It wasn't none of the, any of that stuff, really. Right. You know, so um, I was on a journey of discovery, and I, I've done 45 books since then. But every pub, every book that I've done, those publishers were the first to reject my work. <laughs> All of them, every single one of them. The same people. Same people. Did you? <laughs> they, they all knew me. Like when I first got published, everybody already knew me because I've been to all the houses. Did anyone ever say to you, like, "Hey, just can I just say something? Um, I'm sorry I didn't see. I, I'm sorry I didn't see it when I first looked at you. When I first talked to you." I'm sorry I they, rejected you. No, they said, um, I remember your work from early on. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, you're in the business. That's what they would say. And that's fine. You know, I, I didn't take anything personal because I was, you know, I was young and running, you know. It, sure. it was just like, it, it, and when I broke in, you know, um, it was, I did something with um, um, Disney, Hi Hyperion. And what they did is they started a new imprint called Jump at the Sun. And that was the first time a major label had an imprint solely focusing on African-American stories made by African-American illustrators and writers. Right. 
Toni Morrison's first children's book was on that list. My book was on that list as well, right. along with others. So, And what it did, it changed the whole landscape of publishing. After they saw the success of that first fall lineup season, what those books did in the marketplace, every major publisher opened up an imprint in their in their business. Ryan, are you telling me that publishing doesn't do anything until somebody else does and it's successful? Oh, copycats. That's 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 the name of the game. Yeah. Listen, if they could find an illustrator that could collage just like me, they'd have hired him and undercut me. That's what's going on. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things about your style that's that I think you you can rest easy. It's incredibly difficult to mimic your style. It's incredibly, I think, difficult to mimic any collage artist um, because, again, it's all reaction. Yeah, and it's all sensibility. Right. You know, it's a choice of making certain kinds of, of picks for your your, um, your collage and why and the way you sort of format it and, and put it together. That's mm-hmm. all um, reflection of my personality, my unique personality. Mm-hmm. And and even even that, me knowing that, I still keep it edgy. I never rest. Like I've been told for years, you're always going to work. You're always going to have. I've never believed. I've never been bought. Let anybody get me that vulnerable as an artist to think that, okay, I made it. Because as an artist, I already know there is no landing place. No matter how successful you are, you still got to grind. You still got to get out like it's brand new. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was just on the road. Me and um, uh, Brian Selznick. Like, yeah. like for years we used to travel, do book signings and stuff together. And one time we were somewhere in Ohio. It was this obscure place we were signing, and he showed me his, his sketchbook. Yeah, I'm working on this, this new thing I'm done trying to do. This was years ago, and it was the Hugo book, the Hugo movie is what he was doing. <laughs> and you know, he showed me a little sketchbook, so I saw the possibilities. All it's is. He had a little book that fit in his hand. Right. That he was sketching on. He said, Yeah, I'm gonna do a lot of sketching. It has some text, but mainly visuals. Right. And he was just doing it. I said, Yeah, yeah, I'm cinematic like that too. Okay. I encourage you. And you know, we talked. And then just recently we were together. He yeah. said, Yeah, he was telling the story of Hugo. Right. He said, Yeah, Martin Scorsese called and said, I'm I wanna do <laughs> And you know his new book that he just did, guess who called him? Steven Spielberg has said, said, Brian, write me a, um, a script. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> That's incredible. So he had two calls. Right. The first one's Martin. The next one was Steven. Like, that doesn't even happen on the planet. Nobody gets that. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. So I get a chance to see it up close. I'll say, oh, mm-hmm. everything is possible. Everything is possible. Every single thing. Beyond your dreams. He could never have dreamt coming together like that. Right. That's why Nobody I mean one of the things I, I I I I feel like I can I hear myself talking mm-hmm. uh, when I talk to illustrators I hear myself saying over and over again like a broken record you never know yeah you never know like do the thing send yeah. the thing email the person you just never know and chances are good that nothing will come of it mm-hmm. they are but not a hundred percent yeah you just never That's know what I'm man. Saying. You got to stay grinding and stay hungry. That's right. what that's what I that's the point. There's no landing place. Keep grinding. The the dream it can be bigger than the dream. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Exactly. You know. What I find a little maddening is it's not like 
at the time in 89, 90, 91, 92, et cetera, before you got it going, or to put more accurately, before publishing sort of started getting going as far as like producing books from uh, a diverse range of our creators. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't you getting going. It was them going like, oh, yeah, all right, let's do that. Yeah. How many of those artists in that time? And this, and by the way, going back to the fifties, forties, all all through th those decades. I mean, I've I've talked about this with Ashley. In the fifties, I mean, they were literally saying to him, "You're black. We're not publishing that." Yeah. Literally, I mean, just explicitly saying it to him. Oh, absolutely. You know, and with you, it's you're not going to explicitly say it like that. They're going to be like, "Well, mm. you know, it's nice, but not for us." It's coded. It's just code. Right. But they're saying the same thing. It's code, though. Even in my head, if it was ringing exactly the word for word what they told people like Ashley Bryan or Jerry Pinkney early on as well, you know, it's black. We're not doing that. When they were saying, we love your work. Oh, it's fabulous. But um, we just don't have any work for you at this time. What they said back in the 50s is what I just heard when they just said right. in, the, in the 80s and 90s in my head. What I find disappointing about that is and maddening is, is um, you know, you had a you had this like all right well i heard you heard that but you didn't um it didn't stop you right right no how many how many artists did it stop oh it, well you know yeah I mean? I mean i look i think about the even the kids that i went to college with how you know they they tried it after college you know to survive as an artist in new york right you know and they folded they said no i'm going back home i do something else or change careers and I came in to New York out of Pocomoke, Maryland with one plan. It was plan A. Mm -hmm. No plan B. It wasn't, mm -hmm. I didn't even think about a plan B. It was just one shot. Right. Yeah. And this is what it's going to be. Yeah. And I'm going to grind it all the way through, you know? Yeah. Landed in Brooklyn and I started it. And that led to Uptown, which was your first book, which, first oh, by book. the way, your first book earned you an Ezra Jack Keats Award. The new Absolutely. illustrator award. It earned you a mm -hmm. Coretta Scott King award. That first book. Mm -hmm. I suspect the poetry of winning an award named after someone who influenced you as a young artist wasn't lost on you. Oh, absolutely not. Not. I mean, it was. It, it just felt like the book went full circle. Yep. Because that little boy is is really Peter walking through Harlem. Is is a dream walk. He's a dream walker. That boy. Because that's what that's what snowy day was. It really wasn't just about the snow. I just discovered it about three years ago. It, it dawned on me really as an epiphany. You know, I said, um, and I'm going to do. A, I'm going to write a book. I'm writing a book now on it. Oh, um, um, how Peter, as an example, was making footprints in the snow, and how the footprints changed from walking with his toes pointed in like this and his toes pointed out, and mm -hmm. and then he dragged his feet slowly, and made tracks, and then he laid made snow angels in the snow and he marched on in the snow and we looked at the footprints and then you look at the cover and look at the body gesture of Peter in that red jumpsuit. He's not looking at the snow. He's looking at the footprints mm -hmm. because he was creative with his feet. He was painting from moment to moment with his feet. He was dream walking. And then we jumped to Harold on a purple crayon. He stepped out on a blank sheet of paper and he created from moment to moment. It wasn't crayon, a kid playing with a crayon. He was dream walking. He was creating like artists do from moment to moment. Mm -hmm. So I, I started seeing these layers 
uh, uh, connections. And it was around the time that I was doing this book on Ernie Barnes, who, oh, you know, I know Ernie Barnes. Yeah, from good, you know, JJ from Good Times, yeah. the art that he made. Oh yeah, he comes up from time to time. I was actually just talking uh, about him with um, Greg Christie. Greg Christie, okay. Yeah. Well, Ernie, when he was a little boy, he used to love to go outside after it rained because he picked up he would pick up a stick and do mud paintings in the mud, mm. and all the neighbors would watch. You know, it looked like he was doing something weird, and with this pen, with this little weird kid out there with this with this stick in the mud. But that's not what he was doing. He was foreshadowing what, what was going to come. Uh-huh. He was telling the world who he's going to be. He was dreamwalking. He was creating. He was saying, one day, you, you're going to see this. This is more than just what you're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so all those things sort of came into play. So I'm doing, I'm writing a book on that right now. That sounds great. On encompassing all that stuff and others. Man, you're right. It's not Peter just going like, oh, I'm going to appreciate the snow for 32 pages. Yeah. It's him walking yeah. through town, and that's exactly what Uptown is. Just like walking yeah. through town and appreciating the world around him. And, and highlighting the fact that there is like there is poetry in the world around you. You just have to know where to look. And his expression, the wonder, and in his, in his, in thinking that the snowball was still going to be in his pocket after he got out of the tub you know that's the child wonder you know totally all the oh all gosh. that stuff so. that's fantastic um i i've had i've had quite a few caldecott medal and honor winners on the podcast over the years mm-hmm. you how by my count i had four caldecott honors for you is that right that's right that's correct that's right. okay mm-hmm. what was it like getting the call for the first one and before you answer, before you answer, I had I asked the same question. Anytime I have a call to cut winner on, I ask them basically the same question, is, which is like, what was it like? And what I find funny is like Javaka Steptoe was in the shower when he got the call. Uh, mm-hmm. Rudy Gutierrez was taking his dog for a walk at five in the morning when he got the call. Um, Betsy Lewin thought it was a joke and hung up on him. Mm-hmm. Um, what, was it, what was that first call like for you? It was so early in the morning. I thought somebody was sick. so i didn't answer the phone for the they called five times (laughs) and then i said and then when i picked up the phone it was just screaming librarians they were screaming yeah so i didn't know i still didn't know what was going on you know right and (laughs) and i think i think my agent called me okay said ryan take the call (laughs) it's important you know and I did, and and then they told me what it was. And gradually, you still don't know what that all encompasses oh, yeah. the first time. Right. And and then you get to to see how important and big it is. I imagine it was a pretty significant sea change. Maybe not. I mean, did it like significantly alter the course of your career, or well, like kind of change it? Well, the 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 first. Award the the Ezra Jack no the um Kareska King and Ezra Jack Keats Award for Uptown mm-hmm. it changed that's when it really changed early on mm-hmm. because that after I won I got ten contract offers oh good and gosh. like in a week in a week you know so because oh, they found they found out you were from Maryland they're like well hell yeah anybody from Maryland's awesome yeah so. <laughs> but all, everybody called wow and. And I didn't even have an agent at that time. What did you do? And I got an agent. That's an answer. Navigate all those contracts and and 
and figure it all out. And then the next year I got the Caldecott, I think it was Martin's Big Words honor. And then Rosa came, I got that, I got it again. Right. You know, I had a, a lot of contracts. And that's why I love the chaos of it all. You know, yeah. you know, it looked like I was, you know, these books stacked up and I, be, I was being suffocated by these books. But I love, I like the chaos. I like the anticipation of going from one project right into the next and the pressure of it. Right. Flipping it and going right to the next one. You mentioned imperfection in, in, a, in a number of interviews, how, you know, yeah. you do have to embrace imperfection. Absolutely. For illustrators, I think that's a hard thing to wrap your head around, at least early on, you know, like mm -hmm. maybe with maturity or experience or just like stop giving a shitness. Um, yeah. You, you can kind of give yourself the room to, you know what, it doesn't look exactly like I wanted it to look or eh, I kind of messed that up or, or whatever. It doesn't yeah. have to be perfect. In fact, it can't be perfect. There's no such thing. Mm hmm what is it about imperfection that that really speaks to you? Because you do mention it quite a bit. Yeah, I just discovered that broken is beautiful. Yeah. Broken is absolutely beautiful and is human. And and in the work, I I totally embrace it because I'm again, it's it's not that destination that I'm trying that I'm shooting for. I'm shooting for falling in love with the journey. Yeah. So along the journey. You stumble, you do this, you get stuff right, and you get stuff not so right. And and collage allows me to cut it and paste it and, and make it fit and do all kinds of stuff and, and be surprised when I butt two different colors up together and they, they sing right. on in this way, you know, and nothing that I could ever imagine before doing it. Mm -hmm. I have to just do it and see what happens. Broken is beautiful. Obviously, you illustrate a lot. We talk about illustration a lot on this podcast. Mm -hmm. In this episode, you also write. Yeah. When I talk to illustrators about the relationship between art and text, I often say that they are parallel partners. They are symbiotic. Mm -hmm. They stand side yeah. by side. One never eclipses the other. Right. But I'm always, you know, I, I teach illustration. I, I edit picture books with, with illustrators all the time. And, and I'm always just trying to find a better way of explaining what is the relationship truly between text and art in a picture book. How would you describe it? I do a visual storyline that runs parallel to the text. It doesn't always have to mimic the text, but it it is space in between the, the visual storyline and the actual storyline and the space that the reader falls in is right in between. Mm-hmm. But they run parallel. Sometimes they run above, and sometimes it dances under it. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes the illustration will pull back to let the actual word on the page jump forth, mm -hmm. like a piece of artwork. Yep. Sometimes the art overtakes it, and the the text falls into the art, and let the art sing. But they da they dance with each other, and they run parallel with each other. They don't have to mimic. The, Im the image doesn't have to necessarily mimic the text word by word because mm -hmm. it's already it's explicitly said what it is. Right, right. So we can talk about the edges of what's going on in the composition. Oh. And that's where, the, that's where the power is on the edge. Absolutely. Oh, God, I love that. The edges. All right. I might steal that. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm stealing the crap out of that. Uh, do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> 
Um, you know, another thing I hear a lot um, from illustrators is uh, they don't know if they're cut out to be an illustrator. I, mm. I was talking to an illustrator the other day and they said, I don't know if I'm cut out to be an illustrator. It's hard for me. To which I said, well, it's hard for everybody. Mm-hmm. You knew pretty early mm-hmm. on. I mean, you knew. Yeah. You were like, I'm, I'm doing this. I am definitely yeah. cut out to be an illustrator. But some, it, it can be challenging to really wrap your head around the idea that like whether or not you're, you know, am I actually going to make it? Am I actually going to be able to do this? Do I actually have mm-hmm. the ability? Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest skill sets that I've developed doing illustrating is that you got to realize um, you got a team. So therefore, you got to um, stay fast to what you believe in, but be open for something brand new to happen, another new idea. Mm-hmm. So like when I do a book and and I'm almost done, we're down to the last two or three images. And then we look at it, we all look at it, me, the editor, the art director, mm-hmm. and we spot that I'm going in the wrong direction. I'll do the whole thing over. We scrap it. We can do it over. I'm open. That's how open I am to it. To finding the best with the most clarity, the best way to tell this story, the very best story. Because there's no way I'm gonna let it go if it bothers me now, and if it's something that I've done and it's like, oh, it kind of kind of messes with. It's gonna bother me 30 years from now. Right. Because when it's printed, it's done. That's that's some powerful oh, I know. stuff. Permanent, you know. And so yeah, and then next thing you know, it's like that's the book that sells the most. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You're like, oh, great. Yeah, but it bugs you. It bugs you. Oh, yeah, totally. You know? But like, so, what would you say to them? Like, you know, before they get to that point, I mean, they would. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of illustrators listening who would kill to get to that point. Yeah, heck yeah, I'd love to be. I'll do anything. A publisher will say. Like, they're they're there. They're in that boat. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to them who feel like they're not? They may not, they feel like they may not be cut out to be an illustrator. Well, then that, that is the truth. That is the truth. I mean, you may have maybe three or four books in you and that's it. That's fine. If you, there, there's plenty of illustrators that's been published. They'll never get published again. Cause they, they had three, they had five books tops. Right. And that's that. And maybe that's enough. That may be enough. It just, for me, I haven't done the greatest book that I, I I think I can make. One, I ain't even close. Um, and two, I have so many. Just everything I see is in the story. Is a story in it. Even when I look at my old pencils in my this cup in front of me, like this, mm-hmm. I'm looking at. It's a story in these pencils. This it's a story every every place I look. Yeah. Every everywhere I go to the dry cleaner, it's a, it's a story there. Sure. You know. So even if, like, let's say illustrations fell by the wayside, you'd still be telling stories? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the pen- – like, I just I don't just do books. I, I do fine art paintings, and I, I yeah. do shows all over the country. Right. So they have their own lives and stories yep. built in. Yep. Yeah. What would you like to say to illustrators listening, especially for those who are just looking for that, you know, way to take that extra step? What piece of advice, what one last thing would you like to share with them directly? The biggest advice that I have for young illustrators and artists is that the power that you're talking about is really within you. 
and you it's, it's up to the amount of courage that you have to step out into a world and show your work and be criticized no matter what they say whether they love it or whether they don't or whether they respond to it or not you are called to do this and and, and if you're called to do it you'll know because the hard times will test your armor the hungry days will test you you know that's how you'll know if you're built and ready to do this if you love it take care of it and harness your skill set and always work it because if you don't work it you'll lose it paint and create no matter who's looking who's paying for it or not create work keep your skill set sharp and when the opportunity shows up you'll be ready you will be ready To learn more about Brian, visit briancollier.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, follow the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you will receive our salt enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes that we call Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.